it's channel 16. Uh, microphone on channel 16. Channel 16, I think, is what we need. We got that? Can you guys hear me? Okay, I'm coming through the system. Cool. I just also want to get the recording because, you know, I know sometimes people do stuff. Well, hey, so we're, we're continuing our series on uh, practicing church. We're talking about practices that the church has engaged in throughout the ages um, in this series. You know, we started a few weeks ago talking about fasting. Kara had thought, just preached a really great sermon last week about prayer, uh, and that was really helpful. This week we're talking about this idea of Sabbath. And I have a, I have a, you know, I, maybe I should have started this week by talking about confession. You know, I have, to, I have a confession to make to you all. I'm, I know that this may come as a shock to you, and I hope that this scandal won't mean a break in our relationships because I know it is controversial and maybe even a little bit disturbing, uh, and I, I just, I just want to apologize for that. I just want to be open about that. But the, the confession that I need to make to you all is that Sometimes I eat at Chick-fil-A. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I do go to, go to Chick-fil-A. In fact, I, I have to confess to you that I actually really like Chick-fil-A. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the movie with Tiffany Haddish and Kevin Hart uh, called Night School, in which there is a, a really just a, a, a fantastic, fantastic parody of Chick-fil-A uh, with a business called Christian Chicken. And uh, I just, we laugh about that, and, uh, you know, every now and then, whenever we're, we're feeling weak and want to go eat fried food, we say, hey, do you want to go to Christian Chicken? Uh, and we kind of laugh about it, right? And, and uh, to be fair, I, I'm, I'm halfway serious in my confession for liking Chick-fil-A. I'm not, I'm not one of those pastors who's like, yay, Chick-fil-A is the best thing ever, uh, though I do think there are some good things about it. Uh, I, I think the, there's something about hearing some of the worship songs that we play on Sunday morning as like background elevator music that I just, there's something about that that kind of weirds me out a little bit. I feel like, um, you know, I, th- I think the question uh, like, it, can fast food be Christian? Uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a good question to ask. Uh, it, and can, can capitalism just be baptized? I don't know. I don't know that we can just baptize capitalism. I don't know that we can do that. I have some questions. Maybe I'm just being super judgmental, and I just need to take the plank out of my own eye, and I would get over it. I don't have any trouble. I don't have these questions when I go to McDonald's. Um, but what, the, thing I, the thing about Chick-fil-A that I think a lot of people know, and there's a lot of talk about, uh, it, it's actually a thing that I both love and hate, uh, is that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. I don't know if you know this or not, but Chick-fil-A, if you, if you are a sinner like me and you eat at Chick-fil-A, uh, you know that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And uh, I, I hate this because it's often on Sunday afternoon when I'm the most like, I just want to eat a big chicken sandwich and relax. Um, and then I'm like, ah, dang it, but it's Sunday. Chick-fil-A is closed. Christian chicken is closed. But what's, I think this kind of brings up this, this idea in maybe a, a way uh, you know, the thing I love about it is, is that they are actually trying to practice Sabbath for their employees. 
You know, they are trying to make sure that everyone who works in their organization does have the opportunity to practice Sabbath. And I think that's, that's, that's a question I think is worth asking. Like, what's the big deal about Sabbath? Why is this an important practice? Why would an organization that is at least making some attempt, and I think it's good, I think many of the things that Chick-fil-A does is good, making an attempt to incorporate Christian values into a business operation, uh, why would Sabbath be a really important part of that, I think is worth asking. And I think it's worth considering, especially uh, for us in the 21st century. You know, I, I know that the world that I'm growing up in is different than the world that my parents grew up in. Uh, just the way that uh, the economy works for me is pretty different than the way the economy works for my parents. Now, both of my parents worked kind of off and on, throughout my growing up years, but, uh, but I don't know very many uh, parents with kids today where both, both parents don't work. Um, I, I think that's pretty common now. And, and just, just to be able to make it, to kind of be able to make ends meet, to pay your bills, uh, you got to work a lot in, in our economy. And so Sabbath, I think strict Sabbath observance for some people might feel like a burden or like this extra thing that I have to do that's actually kind of cumbersome that sort of disrupts kind of my normal flow of life. But I think it's really worth looking at and considering, especially as we look uh, at this passage uh, in Deuteronomy from, that's from the Ten Commandments. Uh, before we get there, would you just pray with me? Uh, Lord, I just ask that as we turn to your word, as we turn to Jesus' Bible here looking at the Old Testament, that, uh, that you would speak to us that we could hear your words, that we could hear the invitation that you have to us into your kingdom and into your leadership. God, I pray that we would find the courage to follow you and obey you in all things. And I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is what it says in the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. I think one way that we can understand the Sabbath that I think is a very important thing to understand about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is given as a command to people who were slaves who are being led out of that slavery into a new kingdom, into a new lordship, into a new relationship with God that they enjoy freedom in. And so to observe the Sabbath is really to, to recognize God as king, and it is to recognize the freedom from oppression that God brings when we join his kingdom. When we join God in his work, we're joining him in the rest that he designed for us. That Sabbath is in many ways 
a way to break away from just being a slave, just being someone who has to produce, from finding all of our worth and value in what we are able to do for ourselves or for others, to find our worth and value apart from the worship of the almighty dollar, to find our worth and value apart from the things that we can give to others or produce. And God wants us to enjoy freedom from the toil and labor of work. In fact, the curse that everyone must work and toil and labor uh, in order to bring fruit out of the ground and that it isn't easy to get what we need in this life is undone at least one-seventh of your life. I said it a couple weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating. Pete Scazzaro says that, uh, that God wants to give you seven, over seven weeks of snow days every year. God, God wants to give you 52 days off where you don't do anything, where you just get to rest and enjoy God's creation, enjoy your family, the people that you live with, your chosen family, and to enjoy God. And it's about freedom from the oppressive grind of toil and labor that we experience because the world has fallen. It's, it's really calling us back to that Eden existence one day a week. And this is for everybody. This isn't just for the wealthy. This is for slaves. This isn't just for the, the middle class. This isn't just for the, the people who, who are um, you know, making decisions. This isn't just for the powerful. This is for little kids. This is even for the animals that God has designed uh, a break, a rest, from just being driven all the time, from, from just pursuing and working at all hours so that we can be free and enjoy his leadership and protection in our life. You know, we said a few weeks ago we were reading from Isaiah 58, and we were connecting this idea of Sabbath to justice and to the work of fasting. And in Isaiah 58, It says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke, to be free from a burden, to be free from needing to carry, from needing to work. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. A lot of what we're doing in practicing Sabbath is making sure that we make space for other people to be able to live and to rest and to share what we have, to limit ourselves, to limit the amount of grain that we harvest, to limit the amount of money that we earn in order that we can experience God's rest and in order so that others can as well. And it says this later on in the same passage. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise in triumph on the heights of the land, and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
The other thing that Sabbath is about that's important is Sabbath is really about the lordship of God. That on Sabbath, we trust God and we recognize that He's king. We do Sabbath because God tells us to. And sometimes we have to trust God in order, in order to obey God when God tells us to do things that we don't understand or that seem counterintuitive or that seem kind of like, I don't know, stodgy or kind of, kind of frumpy and like lame and rulesy. Sometimes it's actually in trusting God in those commands that we find our rest and we're able to be led by Him, that we're able to be able to receive the blessing that He wants to give us through the obedience. And even if it costs something, even if it costs us a loss of income, even if it costs us accomplishing some goal that we had or some will that we had, some desire that we wanted to do, God says rest, God says don't do that thing, God says stop doing the thing that you want to do and do the thing that I want you to do. Part of Sabbath is just recognizing the lordship of God. And this was, a, this was kind of a key understanding for the Jewish people for millennia. For thousands of years, the Jewish people were the people that kept Sabbath. That's how you knew that they were Jews, that they were the people of God, because they recognized that God was the Lord of the Sabbath. And Sabbath keeping was a sacred responsibility that showed that Israel's king got to tell them how to live. And Israel's king gets to tell them how to live differently from the cultures around them. But I think if we lean too heavily into this idea and not into the idea that Sabbath is also about freedom from oppression, we could get off course. And so I think it's also important to just make the connection uh, that, the, that the Exodus passage, so the Exodus version of the Ten Commandments, and let's just, let's just take a moment here and to reflect. So Sabbath keeping is in the same list as don't kill people. Right? Like, you know, don't kill people is kind of, come on, that's, you know, don't commit murder. Like, I think that's kind of like, I want to I wanna follow that rule. That seems reasonable, right? Don't, don't put other gods and don't worship other gods. That, that's important for followers of Jesus, right? Like, the Ten Commandments, like the top ten, baby, like, this is up there, right? And so this this is it. This is the Exodus version of the top ten. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and, is, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. By practicing Sabbath, we remember that God actually created us to enjoy his rest. God is not like the other gods of this world. God isn't like mammon. God isn't a slave driver like our desire for more wealth. God isn't an oppressor. God isn't a boss in the way that worldly bosses are bosses. God wants us to rest, and he designed us for rest. And when we 
remember to practice the Sabbath, we, we take a step back in remembering God's design and we remember the future that is coming in God's inbreaking kingdom. When the kingdom is renewed and there's a new heavens and a new earth, the city of God will descend, the new Jerusalem, like a bride prepared for her bridegroom, and we will experience a society and a world ordered with all the complexity of human uh, creation and creativity and thriving and culture, but we'll experience that in the presence of God and there will be rest. That when we practice Sabbath, we're remembering Eden and the Eden that is to come. When the kingdom comes in its fullness, we will experience God's rest and we will experience the beauty and the joy of creation. And so I'm, I'm borrowing a lot from Pete Scazzaro, actually. I've been reading a lot about this idea. And he has, he has kind of four key elements that he thinks are, are important for Sabbath. And the first is to stop. You gotta, you, there needs to be a disruption of your normal schedule. You need, to, you need to find a way to try to get at least to t- one 24-hour period where you don't do the things that you normally do, where you don't work, where you rest from your paid and unpaid work. And to be honest, this does actually create some more work on those other days when you're working, right? Like there's a certain amount of work that needs to get done. If you work seven days a week, then you got to scrunch that seventh day of week work, you know, kind of into the other six days, right? You know, you kind of got to, you got to get prepared. You got to get ready. If you, if cooking is work for you, uh, then you need to have your meals cooked before Sabbath. If, uh, if, if cleaning the house is work for you, then you got to have the house clean before Sabbath so that you can relax. If, uh, if, if you are, uh, if, if being on your phone is too tempting for you to get pulled into work and, and, and being on electronics and those sorts of things, you know, is, uh, is work for you, then you need to set some kind of an autoresponder uh, or you need to let people know, hey, I'm not going to be, you're not going to be able to get a hold of me tomorrow. Like you, you kind of have to, you have to have some intentionality. You have to, you have to take steps in order to stop. And then, of course, you know, the point is to rest, to do things that bring you life, to do things that replenish you, to take a nap, to accomplish nothing, to just recuperate a little bit, to, to sleep, to lay in a hammock and read a book is one of my favorite things to do in order to rest, to do things that bring you delight. You know, the Garden of Eden didn't have to be as beautiful and enjoyable as it was, but God is good, right? God is good. And I don't know, I, I, think, I, I think I was listening to, and I often listen to NPR while I'm driving around in my car. Please don't take that as a political affiliation. It's just, I, you know, it's, it, I feel like it's pretty, pretty not politicized news. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, but I heard, I heard this story of, in Canada, in, in one certain state or province, I don't know, what do they do in Canada? Canada's weird. Uh, they, have like, they have like big, long, vertical states or something. I don't know. But anyway, so there's some place in Canada, uh, they've started this practice of doctors prescribing nature as a part of a people's treatment plan or a part of somebody's recovery plan. Like, here, here's some drugs that we want you to take, and also... We want you to go and spend two hours in nature. And they write it down on a prescription. 
And along with that prescription, uh, they actually give you like a coupon in, in conjunction with the national parks so that if you, you come up and you show them your prescription for nature, they let you into the park for free or they give you a discount to, to that park so that you will go and spend time enjoying the beauty of creation as a treatment for illness. And I just, there's something about that idea that I love. I just think that's fantastic. I, like nature charges me up and I think, you know, I think everyone at some point has, has had some kind of an experience where they have really been away from the hustle and bustle, away from the grind, and you, you hold the beauty of God's creation in awe. And it causes you to worship. It causes you to enjoy the Creator who made this senselessly wonderful beauty that is restorative and brings life. God created us to enjoy delight. And when we experience his goodness and his presence and his kingdom, we experience rest. And that's part of what Sabbath is about. And I'll say more about contemplating and just, you know, that the Sabbath is also supposed to be about God, right? Sabbath is not just about us. Uh, I like what uh, Eugene Peterson has said, and he's been quoted to say this many times, but he says that a day off is a bastard Sabbath. A real Sabbath is where we experience peace with God, where we experience God's presence. And this is why many Christians have set Sunday as their Sabbath day. Now, in Jewish tradition, Saturday is the seventh day of the week, right? Sunday is actually the day when uh, when, when uh, God said, let there be light. It's the first day of creation, right? And then Tuesday and Monday, Monday and Tuesday, yada, yada, yada. And then Sabbath, is, is Shabbat is Saturday for Jewish people. And so they start on, on Friday night when the sun goes down. From, fr- from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday, that's, that's the Sabbath. But Christians have often uh, worshipped on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so Jesus died on a Friday. He was, in, he was in the grave that day. He was in the grave for the Sabbath. Jesus' body rested on the Sabbath, right? And then Jesus came to life again on Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is the day when Christians worship, remembering the resurrection of our Lord. And so many Christians have done that on, on Sunday. Uh, but part of that is, you know, it's in community that we often experience God. And so finding ways to do Sabbath with others, to rest with others, and to think about God with others is also an important part of Sabbath practice. And so I want to just think about, for a little bit, about how practically, as a community, do we practice Sabbath together? And some of the practices and some of the structures that we're trying to build uh, in our church community, you know, one way I, I think is really important for everyone to practice Sabbath is to just practice receiving. That when we come to church, hopefully, we're coming to receive more than we're coming to give. And I know that this is not a large church, and I know that it takes a lot of volunteer power even to run a small church like this, and we ask for, we ask for a pretty big uh, commitment of service from every person. You know, everybody gets to play, but... Everybody gets to play also means that everybody gets to play, right? Like you get to relax, you get to recuperate, you get to recreate, you get to recreate, uh, literally. 
And we want people to come to church to receive. And so if you find yourself in a pattern of only showing up to church on those days when you're on the service schedule, I would just say, hey, pay attention to that. What's going on there? Ask yourself some questions. What's happening in my soul? Why, why am I skipping out the rest of the time? Is there something about church that's making me uncomfortable? Do I, do I need to name that? Um, or am I, am I thinking that maybe I'm not worthy of just showing up and receiving? Am I getting too much of my worth from what I'm giving and not just receiving what God has for me in community? There's something to pay attention to there. It's important to come and to receive. I'd also say, you know, maybe another way uh, to think about this in, in, in the life of our community is practice being needy with people and letting other people serve you. Like, get prayer. Like, let another person care for your soul and pour life into you. Every Sunday when we make that call to worship, or when we make that call to ministry time, uh, you know, it's, it's my hope and really kind of the main thing that I'm hoping is going to happen here when we gather together is that we speak God's words of life into each other's hearts. And that we, through prayer, welcome that rest, welcome that kingdom, welcome that new life, welcome that creation power into the hearts and minds of one another and remind each other that you are loved, that God sees you, God knows you, God knows your pain, he cares about it, and he wants to do something to alleviate that and heal that. That's what we do for each other when we pray. And so we invite people to step forward. We invite people to opt into that. We invite people to consent to that experience of receiving God's love. And so we say, please come forward for prayer. And when we're doing that, we're doing two things. And I've emphasized one, and I want to emphasize the other one today. You know, I've often emphasized because I think for me, I think for me sometimes the, the hang-up, the reason why I might hesitate to respond to an invitation to prayer uh, is because I, I don't want anybody to know that I'm needy. Right? I don't want anybody to know that I've got stuff going on I need help with, and I might be a little embarrassed about that. But part of, part of following Jesus is being brave enough to admit those things, and to admit those things in community, and to admit those things before other people, and so we want to give people the opportunity to practice that and before, to take a step of faith and to say, hey, I need God. And I'm not airing my dirty laundry. I'm not trying to bare my soul in front of everyone. But I'm kind of in a public, a little bit public way before other people saying, I need God to do something in my life. I need God. And that's something I've emphasized before. And I've kind of tried to explain it, why we do that practice before. But I think maybe another way that might be important for us to consider of why we do this is that part of stepping forward, part of responding to an invitation to prayer, for some of us, maybe the hang-up is, is in stepping forward, it's hard for us to say, I'm worthy of this. I'm worthy of receiving this help. I know that God loves me and that I have worth and that my pain matters, and I am, I am in need of God to help me, and God wants to help me. And it's right and it's good for me to get what I need. For me to step forward and say that God is going to love me. God is going to meet me in my need. And so I can come boldly 
before the Lord, and I can step out and say, as a son or daughter, God, will you meet me? You know, I watch little kids and I work with little kids. You know, little kids and their parents, when they're, when they're young, they know that they are worthy of love and they know that their parents want to give it to them. They know that, that they can ask for a hug and they're not going to be turned away. Right? Somewhere along the line of, of growing up and maturing, becoming independent, sometimes it's hard for us to lose sight of that. Or maybe for some of us, we've really experienced some trauma. We've really experienced some hurt from our earthly parents who were supposed to represent what God is like to us, and they just failed. Right? They just did a bad job. And so we've got to hang up there because we're not sure if we can trust God because we couldn't trust mom or dad or whoever filled that role in our life. But stepping forward for prayer is saying to God, hey, God, would you give me a hug? God, would you just love on me right now? I, just, I need you to do something in my heart and my mind. I need you to touch me. I need you to, I, I, have, I, I need something from you. And that's good. And we want people to feel free and able to do that. But we can get too in the weeds when we talk about Sabbath. We can get too in the weeds when we talk about these practices, when we talk about structures and rules and sorts, all these sorts of things. And there's a propensity, even for this rule of rest, to, to, to serve the rule and not serve the one who made the rule, to, to serve the law and not the lawgiver, uh, to serve the, the, the kind of like, I don't know, the, the nuts and bolts and, and not see what God is doing in them, not see what God's purposes are in them. And so I want to just read this passage of Jesus kind of being a little bit of a punk with the Sabbath. All right? So at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Now, what, what the disciples are doing here is they're practicing gleaning laws. So in Leviticus... I know, Leviticus, right? We don't, we don't care about that book. Actually, Leviticus is where you find the, the command, love your neighbor. So I wouldn't toss Leviticus out completely. But, but in Leviticus, it also says that, you know, you're not supposed to glean all the way to the edges of your field. You're supposed to leave a little bit for the poor people. You're supposed to leave a little bit for the alien, for the foreigner, for the refugee, so that anybody who's hungry and starving, if they're hungry enough to pick the heads off of the grain and eat it straight out of the field, uh, you're supposed to leave a little bit for those people. And so the disciples uh, who are following Jesus, they are, they, are, they are relying on this social safety net because that's the, that's the kind of income you get when you follow Jesus. And so, so the, the disciples, they're hungry. They're walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath. They're starving. They've probably been fasting either by choice or by uh, necessity uh, for a while. And so they're, they're having a little snack. And so they begin to eat some of the grains, heads of grain, when the Pharisees saw this, they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Because you could technically define that as work. Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he, was, he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord 
of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. You know, there is something about religious practice. There's something about rules. There's something about practices. There's something about Sabbath-keeping, even, that can get really weirdly religious, right? There's something about this task of following God and following God's laws and following God's rules where we can miss the heart of it, we can, where we can miss the purpose of it. And there's, there's value in strict obedience. There's value in getting serious, getting down to brass tacks and saying, do I actually think about Sabbath? Do I actually do this? But it's really important to remember that Jesus said over and over that Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. The point is to focus on God, right? The point is to, re- to, to receive God's love, to receive God's blessing, and to be about the Father's business, doing what God wants us to do. We make space with Sabbath through this practice so that we can receive from God. My friend Rich Andrews, who's a vineyard pastor and church planter in the Philadelphia area, he just recently started the Conshohocken Vineyard. He, he kind of was successful at starting his church right about the same time when ours, ours was tanking. Uh, and so, and, and he's really fit, and he's just like a really good-looking guy, and to be honest, I'm quite jealous of him in many ways. But, uh, but, but my friend Rich Andrews, he's still my friend, uh, he, he offered this analogy of, you know, uh, he made this smoothie for his kid one day. And the smoothie's got spinach and bananas and apples and all this good nutrient. You know, it like, looks like Ninja Turtle slime, but it's like sweet and delicious and it tastes good. It's really good for you in the smoothie. And you drink the smoothie, you're going to get lots of nutrients. They're going to strengthen your body, feed you, all that stuff. So, but if you try to eat the cup, you'll be miserable, right? Try to chew on that plastic. I mean, you're going to probably going to need surgery to pull some of those pieces out or it's going to be very uncomfortable for you later on, right? Like you can't, you don't want to eat the cup. You don't want to eat the cup. The Pharisees are eating the cup. Jesus is about his father's business and doing what God has for him to do. And what God wants to do is heal us. And that's what Sabbath keeping is really all about. It's so that we can heal, so that we can be restored. And as we start to talk about healing and focusing on God, what's really important, I want to invite John to come up and talk to us for a minute about something that happened last week because we're about to try to enter into God's rest in a time of prayer here. And uh, I thought John might just want to share the story, and I appreciate you doing that. So yeah, let me get your mic going here. I'm going to switch which one I'm talking into. So John, um, tell us a little bit about what happened to you last Sunday, if you don't mind. You guys know John Hallen? John Hallen, everybody. Give him a hand. <laughs> um, so I, Sunday I woke up late, kind of like I did today. <laughs> Wasn't feeling it. Good. Was not feeling church. Good, you're resting. That's but good. I feel God's voice going, you're going to church today. Okay. 
So I get here right as music's starting, um, you know, enjoy the music, enjoy the, the sermon. And I'm planning on ducking out because my wife's not here, I'm hungry, and uh, I turn around and Lindsay Carter's there like, hey, I want to pray for you. Oh, dang it, I didn't escape. <laughs> so she prays for me and she gives me this, this uh, word that God gave her that was such a specific analogy that it literally could not have been for anyone but me. Mm. She was talking about spiritual life as cooking meat. And if you know me, that is, that is absolutely perfect. Um, and so then we're wrapping up, and Josh says, hey, if, uh, if you've been, uh, you can't hear out of one of your ears, and you feel like God has been quiet, come talk to me. Ah, oh, dang it, that's me again. <laughs> I, can't, I can't leave this place. <laughs> so... Um, and can I, can I interrupt you for yeah, just a second? Yeah. So what I was experiencing is the, what happened to me is while Kara was wrapping up preaching and getting ready to make her call to ministry, I, my left ear just went deaf for a second. It was really bizarre. It was like I just lost hearing, and I heard like ringing in my left ear, and then it, and then it went out, and, and then it came back real fast. It was just like really freaky and weird. And so we, we actually train people to try and recognize if something like that happens, pay attention to it. It could be the Lord. It's not always, but it could be the Lord trying to say something to you about something going on, which is why I shared the word. Um, was it your left ear? It was actually my right, but now that yeah. I think about it, you know, just the second, I was sitting to your left. Yeah, which is kind of weird. So, yeah, maybe there's a, maybe there's a reason, or maybe, maybe the fact that I didn't get the right ear doesn't mean that I have to hear God perfectly in order to be obedient. Keep so going, keep going. I'd been sick uh, in November. It was really bad. I think it was flu. It ended up like I was COVID negative, but it laid me out, like almost went to the hospital type bad. And uh, part of the recovery um, was that like as my body was getting better, all this like drainage that I had just clogged up my right ear. And it stayed that way until last week where my right ear worked, but it was all super muffled. Um, I was leaning on my left ear like I'd only listen to headphones on my left ear rather than my right. So he gives that invitation. I'm like, oh, well, that's probably me. Um, you know, I've had a real hard time hearing God lately. That's something he and I have talked about before. So that sounds like me. I hate being like every time I hear, you know, hey, you're invited to uh, to come receive prayer. You know, if you are feeling this, I'm like, oh, that's that's never me. But <laughs> Then, you know, my mail got kind of got read, and I'm like, all right, well, i got to go talk to Josh. So I go talk to him after the service, and um, he put his hands on me. And I, I am very much not a cry-in-public type of guy. Um, my wife has probably seen me cry maybe five times, um, and instantly, just as soon as he lays his hands on me and starts praying, Spirit God comes in, and I am bawling. And uh, he puts his, his hand on my ear, and it starts to get, like, hot and warm. And um, I didn't know that part. Yeah. And I don't know how long we prayed. I don't know how long that, that happened. But um, there was music playing up front. I'm, I'm facing my, my right ear is to the, uh, to the speakers here. And just suddenly, um, the sounds of the acoustic guitar just start coming in clear. Just like someone took cotton out of my ear and just, boop, it's perfect. There's no... No, no switch. It was just immediate. And uh, that, that's, that's the first time I've ever had the Spirit interact with me physically. So I didn't really know what to do at that point. I still don't. Yeah. 
Praise God, right? Yeah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. You know, and and can I just say, like, I, I was so honored and and, and uh, thank you for letting me pray for you. And, and I just want to say, like, um, y- y- this isn't because I'm a pastor, okay? Like, anybody can do this. Um, God's spirit is poured out on all flesh, young men, old men, young women, old women, everybody. Um, and uh, we don't have to do it perfectly. We can struggle. We can pray a bunch of times. I prayed for so many people who aren't healed, okay? So there's nothing nothing really special about these hands, okay? Um, but God is here, and God wants to do things. And so I, would, I just wanted John to share his story. John, could you, could you talk to us just a little bit about what does that mean to you? Like, what does that experience meant to you? Uh, it's it's really challenged um, a lot of the preconceived notions I had growing up. I grew up I grew up Baptist, um, so the spirit of God wasn't really like welcomed in church. And so this is kind of eye opening to me. Not that I ever thought that it was not real, but that it's real enough that it could happen to me. Yeah, really challenged a lot of things that I had thought. Yeah, praise God. That's really wonderful. Hey, hang up here for a second. I'm going to invite Nikki to come on up. And um, we're going to do ministry time. Um, Nikki's going to play a song. I would like to go ahead and just ask everybody to stand. And I think you guys kind of know the drill, but I'm going to let uh, I'm going to let John make the invitation to ministry today. All right. So if you're anything like me, um, we need prayer. Um, this is probably one of the best parts of the service is where, you know, until now, like, we sing together as a group. We listen to, you know, words as a group. But this is a part where it becomes, you know, what your needs and what you're going through becomes, you know, center to the service. So I just invite anybody that's having any any pain, that's had a hard week, that's going to have a hard week or that has things to, to celebrate with, you know, their friends with. I invite you guys to come forward and uh, receive prayer from people that know how to pray.